0: morning. Ever fallen out with anyone? Ever? Someone I heard say, no, you are kidding yourself. This morning is for you. Welcome. My name is Andy. I'm one of the elders and part of the leadership team here. Um, It's great to be able to share the word with you today. Um, We're into number five of a really challenging series I think if I'm honest with you. It's powerful but very challenging because you know you can turn up at church and you can have a listen and then you can go home and do absolutely nothing about it. But it's pretty hard to do that when you're in a series that's designed to transform. And that's what this thing is all about. And today this one is going to be on relational health, which is in itself pretty challenging and I'm going to be talking about how relationships play a key role in the life of a Christian more than any other so let me just restate restate that relationships play a more vital role in the life of a christian than any other and my intention is to show that how we relate to others is firstly the only reason we exist at all the only reason we exist is through relationship and also why good god puts how we relate only a close second to one other thing so he says Relationship is secondary only to one other thing, and we'll look at that later. It's a pretty beefy topic, no question. So when I was about eight to ten years old, I had a friend that I met at school. He was His name was Sanjay Patel. He was Indian. I think that's probably a bit of a giveaway with a name like that. And he was my, he was my best friend. We were really good friends, and we hung out a lot together between eight and ten Something happened when we were about ten, and I can't remember what it was. I was thinking about the other. I cannot remember. But me and Sanjay fell out. We fell out so much that we ended up having a fight. Now, it was a bit. Hopefully, it was a bit like that fight from. From. Uh, Bridget Jones' diary, yeah? There's a lot of noise and flapping and this, but no real contact for quite a while. A lot of come on and a lot of that stuff and eventually this stuff started going on because we were 10, yeah? What are 10? What are you falling out about? I don't know. But eventually, me and Sanjay actually managed to sort of, you know, give each other a bit of a punch and it was pretty... Point, but we were goaded on. It was my brother's fault. So I just want to make that really clear. <laughs> He's like, "Go on, everyone's around. Go on, men." And it was—we uh, were only little kids. But, but me and Sanchez, who were best friends, ended up falling out, and I ended up, we ended up hitting each other. And um, when I think about it, when I think about that whole thing, I'm pretty sure I hurt him. I'm pretty sure I did. I know he hurt me. Um, I don't know who won. You know, we'll never know. Um, but yesterday, while prepping and thinking about this, that came really to the front of my mind. I felt awful. I really did. I felt he was a truly nice guy. That's why he was my best friend. And yet on the turn of a dime, on a thing I can't even remember, and at ten, what is there to fall out about? I have no idea. We were fighting. And our friendship never fully recovered. We we kept in we were at school together, so we were kind of friends okay for the rest of the time. But we weren't ever as close again. Yesterday I asked God for forgiveness, and I prayed a gushing blessing over Sanjay. I have no idea where he is now in life. I think if I tried to Google Sanjay Patel, I would get a lot of, a lot of names. Facebook, I would get thousands, and he's got to find Andrew Smith. I mean, we have got no chance of finding each other ever through searching online. I would love to um, meet him again, because somehow we, we hurt each other. Relationally, we hurt each other physically too, So going into this preach, I felt it worth saying, relationships are fragile. Even at 10 years old, it seems easy to fall out over something so small. The older we get, the more stuff comes in, it gets thrown at us, and the easier it is for the fanning in us as people just to destroy relationships. So I've called this this message today, actually Handle With Care. And we're going to cover three questions. I always try and preach in the form of a question. If you haven't noticed, I think that's critical to just growing, is ask questions. Someone asked this about relationships. How important are they? How do they get so so easily damaged and how do they get restored? And we might run over a little bit today because we're starting a little late, but I want you to get ready now to respond at the end in prayer. I want you to start fighting your stubbornness to say, ah, I'm just going to go downstairs and get a coffee afterwards. I want you to start getting ready at the end of this to start thinking about even some things we said this morning about confession, repentance, and getting prayer if this is an area you struggle with. And I would confess some of the things I'm going to talk about today. They're very personal to me on areas I struggle with. So let's begin by this thing. Relationships, how important are they? Now, your natural response is going to be something like very. That'll just be the first thing that'll come into Yeah, a lot. They're really important. But like the quizzical and curious guy that I am, I wanted to. I always say, well, why would we say that? Why would we say very? What do we really mean? Why are they important? How important actually are they? And if I'm honest, if they're so important, how come we, we kind of mess a lot of them up when we have difficulties in our relationships? So we'll come to the messing up bit a little bit later. I just want to stick with this question. How important are relationships? And I hinted at it in the beginning. I said it, sort of mentioned it early on. They're really incredibly important, so important that without them we wouldn't even exist. So let's take that big statement on there. And I'm going to start by using the same section of Genesis I used when I talked about physical health, some extracts from Genesis 1, 23 to 31. I'll read this out as Genesis 1, 23 to 31. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And the livestock, according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, said, "Let us make man in our image, just think about that from this morning, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth." So God created them, created man in His own image. In His image, He God created, God created them, male and female He created them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And so it was. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now wherever you stand on the creation evolution thing we're not going to go there today but we know what evolution and creation say and we know what creation says in terms of sequence whether you want to get hung up on whether it was days and stuff that's not for today's conversation. Love having that conversation, love looking at that stuff. I really enjoy looking at the evolution argument over the creation one. I think it's a great thing to study and to get close to and to listen to people like Lennox and others who would give you a kind of balanced view of science over creationism. But the the thing I want to bring out for for now is the sequence of things, not the durations. Starts with light and dark, sky and water, land and plants, stars and moons and the sun, birds and fish, and it ends with, that's the bit I just read, land, animals, and finally, finally, us. In, In we come. And this is important, but it's so easy to miss about the whole Genesis kind of story. God created all of this for us to live on it. We are the pinnacle of his creation. We're the top of the tree. We're the top of the food chain. We subdue the earth and all that is in it. Go us. We are the pinnacle of his creation. Have you ever stopped to ask why we actually need to exist at all? Why not just be God and play around with planets? There's a lot he could do with his time. God was not lonely. It says he had the, the sun and the spirit for all time. Scripture said he didn't need us to do things for him. <coughs> so if you ever stop to ask why do we actually need to exist? Why did God make this place earth and put us on it? Sometimes I wonder if we've been more trouble than it's worth. The biggest question of all is still the biggest question of all. Why are we here? Not why am I here? That's kind of the way in which modern culture has turned it in on us. But actually, why are are we here at all? Why did he create us? It's a huge question. And I explored that in my prep. I mean, I had a few days. I think I could explore this the rest of my life. But the answer, I believe, is through and it's all over the Bible. And perhaps it's in the first four words of the most familiar verse in scripture that most of us would know as christians john three sixteen, for god so loved for god so loved the reason that you and i exist at all is god wanted to love something he wanted to share his love he wanted to share life he wanted to share all of who he is with someone and rick warren puts it very simply god just wanted a family He wanted a relationship. He wanted to be a father who could share it all with his children. God is love. Scripture says God is love and that isn't some hippie statement. God is love and love needs a way to express itself. It needs an outlet and he created us to be that outlet for his love. We are that love that he created us to express it and to share life with someone. He wanted a relationship. He wanted to be a father who could share it all with his children. God's love needed an outlet. He loves us so much that, in fact, in the end, he sends his son to die for us to restore that relationship that gets broken. My favourite psalm still is Psalm 8. It has this line in it that's just been bouncing around in our small group for the last kind of couple of months. We keep coming back to it. Psalm 8 says, "When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, so when I want to look up." at everything and all that you've created. I don't understand it. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. What are we? Why is it? We we have that quote, why do you love us this much? And sometimes when we don't get Christianity, it's because we don't just understand how much he's trying to express his love to us. He's trying in every conceivable way, no matter how much we turn our back on him, to keep pressing in to try and show us how much he loves us relationship and love is at the core of why we exist and it then carries on into how we should exist so god created us for relationship and to be in a real relationship it's not like a mindless slave relationship like some kind of a drone true relationships are ones where we choose to love one another you can imagine how dull life would be If we were just pre-programmed to relate to a specific predetermined person and specifically predetermined marry that person. Predetermined friends. No choices, just that's the one. These are your friends. I predetermined this group for you. And you will therefore have relationship. It just wouldn't work. The freedom to choose makes relationships so special. When someone chooses to call me, you know, is Jerry still in here? Yeah. This guy is a great friend of mine. And on one occasion, years ago, he probably doesn't even remember, they asked people to sort of just say something about one another in a kind of very American kind of thing, you know. Let's just affirm one another. So, But Jerry started saying what a good friend I was, and it just kind of melted me inside that I would have a friend that would think that of me, that I would have a person on this planet that's just choosing to like me with all my kind of weirdness, and I'm, I have my faults, but he chooses to like me. He chooses to call me his friend. It's a wonderful thing. I have others in my life. To know that people choose to like me is much more rewarding than, well, you have to be because you're the 10 that are supposed to be Andy's friend. Or two that are chosen to be Andy. I don't know. Choice is what makes love so special, so real, and so gritty. And that choice creates some issues. Because that free will makes relationship and love more than just chemical and mechanical. And it does open the chance for it to struggle. And sin did that. In Genesis, man falls pretty quickly. That free choice causes us to make some choices. And Adam makes some wrong choices in Eden. Now, whether you believe it's literal, pictural, I don't mind for now. I just want to make sure you know that it's clearly saying that man makes a mistake very early on that freedom kind of backfires a little bit. Man chooses to rebel, to disobey. To Sin enters our relationship with God and it damage is done. And then man struggles in the years that follow. And that's what the Old Testament is trying to tell you about, the struggle of man to get its way back to God. One of God's responses is to speak through a man. He speaks through Moses to guide him in guiding his people. And so he issues ten commandments. Those commandments tell us, at a very basic level about how we relate to God, how we relate to our parents, but the majority of it, by balance, is about how we relate to one another. How we are to love one another. Paul later writing, many, many years later, Paul writing in the letter to the Romans, this is the New Testament, he writes a letter to the Romans about the Ten Commandments, and he's just finished talking to people about taxes and owing money and stuff, and he says this, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, envy, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. Now let's just be crystal clear here. Neighbor does not mean Mr. Jones at number 12. It's not the person in the house next to you. That's not the word that really would be used. It would be just more like love the people who are around you. And there's a lot of people around us, yeah? In work, in schools, in our social circles, in church. There's a lot of people around us. So let's just pause for a second and just have a little recap. God creates us for relationship. The Ten Commandments He then sets down to command us how we are to relate to God, our families but the majority about each other, okay? So that's what has happened in God's creation of us and then trying to guide us. And then along comes Jesus Christ. In comes Jesus. Emmanuel, we call Christmas is coming. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is God with us. He's God with the humans, a man. And now we can hear directly from God because we can speak to him. And we can challenge him and we can ask him tough questions and people do ask him tough questions Were he here now all those questions that you want to ask you could ask him but back in those times, they documented his responses to difficult questions people were asking and it's wonderful you get I wish we got this i wish we did when you read the new testament that's you and me asking god difficult questions and him answering you so if you don't read the Bible and you struggle with what on earth is Christianity about, because you, we don't read the Bible enough to see God is trying to tell you those difficult questions, he's giving you answers. And here's one that comes up later on, we'll talk about it. But the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like this. He even takes things further. He says, you shall you, you have heard it that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder. Jesus says, listen. Now I'm here, let me just kind of build that thing. And whoever murders is liable to judgment. Yeah, yeah, we get that. Don't kill people. And hopefully no one in here is worried about that right now. I hope. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Hang on a second. It's a bit more detail. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, you're an idiot we'll be liable to the hell of fire. Hang on a second. God with us is now saying, I know you've got these things. Let me just expand on this because I hope you're not killing each other. But listen, I'm not leaving it there. <coughs> Jesus kicks it up again. He says, listen, my father gave you some basics. Let me explain it a bit more about the heart of my father because I'm him with you. He told you not to kill each other. Yeah, we get, get that. My father's heart is deeper. Do not commit adultery. Sure, I, I understand that's a bad thing. Well, how about don't even lust? Because that sort of thing starts to break relationships down. Oh, okay, that's, that's a lot. Then later, the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are like a ruling class of the time. They get to ask God difficult questions, the questions that we would like to ask him sometimes. They get to quiz him on many things. They try to trip Jesus up. And he responds with something that seals this whole deal 100%. It's all about God. And it's all about relationships with one another. And I love how Jesus responds to this. So here it is. It's in Matthew 2, 34 to 39. Now, remember, the Bible is historical record. If you want to deny that, you are denying every piece of science ever written. These are recordings of conversations that were had. If you want to say, well, I'm not sure that's really right what the Bible says, then you better throw every history book you have away because there's endless confirmations of these things. And it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. So the Pharisees, one ruling class here, that he silenced another ruling class. They think, ah, oh, they weren't smart enough. They didn't ask smart enough questions. We could trip him up with this one. One of them's a lawyer, so kind of a person of note. Ask him a question to test him out. He says, teacher, let me see if I can catch you out here. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is, is the great and first commandment. And the second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those two statements, they're not separated. They're codependent. Love God and so love others. There's a tone I read into that dependency. Don't claim to love God and then not love others. To separate them is to not understand God's love. And it's key we get that. Jesus, in 34 words of response to someone trying to trip him up, essentially basically says what all humanity is commanded to do. Love God first, love others a very, very close second. It's almost the same, he says. So do we see it? The point we need to get here is when you get in a relationship where you hate or you just can't love someone, what we're saying is I can do that first bit as commanded by Jesus himself. Like the man himself says, Love God. I'll do that bit. And the other one's just like it, love others. Well, I'm not going to, I can't do that bit. Jesus is trying to sell us. It's not okay. He never leaves you like that, though. He always says, Look, it's not okay. So let me help you. Let me set you free. That's the way Jesus, that's the way God works. So here's the deal you don't have to like others, but you're commanded by Jesus and God to love them. So, my midpoint point. God created us for relationship, commanded us on relationship. Jesus detailed out how we are to relate to one another, clarified it in 13 words, 30 words, and Paul made sure we got it. Loving God, loving others, they're inseparable. You can't get away from it. And somehow we've got to work it out. We can't run, we can't hide. And the key message here is you cannot deny it. God wants us in a loving relationship with Him and others. What I've put up there is really the story that goes through. God creates us for a relationship, created on the sixth day, commands us for a relationship, the ten commandments come in, Jesus comes along, gives us guidance, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings clarity, simply puts it down to being the greatest commandments, and then Paul teaches us, it's summed up, he sums it up and says, love others. How important is relationship? It means everything to God. It's the reason we exist, And it's one of the things he's most concerned about when he was even quizzed by people trying to trip him up. So, how come they get so damaged? How come they get so damaged? For the next maybe 10 minutes, I'm probably going to tell you what you already know. But sometimes I and we need reminding through scripture. And so, the second how I want to go into is how do relationships get so damaged? You know, there's so many reasons you could cite here. Why? But I'm going to go for just three key ones. I'm not going to spend all my time here because I want to, my aim is to really pray that we're released from some of this stuff, our vulnerabilities, some of the challenges we have with relationships. So if we go back to Genesis and sin entering the world, the first instance, the first reason relationships get damaged, it's the next sin that man commits after the falling in Eden, the 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 eating from the tree of life, the first thing he does, blaming others. The woman you, so firstly blaming God, the woman you gave me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. It's not my fault. She did it. We have a terrible, I confess to you i have a terrible habit that when things go wrong immediately trying to figure out who who else should take the can for this i have something built into me that i don't like which is my natural response to being kind of accused of anything is it's not me it's because of the circumstances because someone set this thing up wrong even in my work training class didn't go well yeah well so and so didn't do their bit right it's just my default reaction i don't know why it's it's it makes me annoyed because i'm i'm immediately trying to find someone else to to push it away to you may suffer from that too, and we want to pray about that later. You may not, and I'm up here on my own, and I'm fine. I'll, I'll get prayer myself. But it's similar to how we judge others. In Matthew 7, um, when Jesus says, uh, or it said, to take the speck out of your own eye when there's a lot, Take the speck out of someone else's eye when there's a log in your own. You know, let's look at you. Bef- I'm going to look at you before I look at me, and realizing there's actually, a, I've got a huge issue. I'm just You've got a small one, and I'm not even looking at myself. God wants to say to us today, church, blaming others, and I do this far too easily, is what got us in this mess in the first place. So why don't we just stop repeating it? If you have a relationship that is broken, or a habit of getting into difficulties and blaming others too quickly, by loading fault on them too heavily, you or I just sound like Adam. The first thing we say after the fall. It's not me, it's them. Look at what they did. Worse still, these people, God, you put in my life, this small group you put me in, This workplace you placed me in, they're not nice. This church you put me in isn't working out for me. They're wrong. They're the problem. Well, they may well be wrong. I'm not saying they're not. Some people do wrong things. But God is asking you and me today, how about we deal with you? How do you react when you're wrong? Let's try and help to make that work better because that would help. So soon we're going to pray for those who are like me, look at the faults in others before we accept our many issues and weaknesses. The next reason, our own shame. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. One of the reasons we struggle in relationship is often our own shame. We know we've got issues and we know we're sinful, so we just retreat back. It's more honest than the first one I mentioned a minute ago. Will we blame others. But here we allow our sin and our flaws to cause us to, to hide, to retreat back, keep people at a distance, maybe even projecting a fake version of us. And eventually what happens is one of two things. Either the real you suddenly turns up, and that's quite a shock, an emotional outpouring, an outburst, kind of fallout. I can't keep it up, and bang out it comes. Or you just stay aloof and you stay distant. Rick Warren, in his preach, calls this a fear. He says it's a fear the fear of exposure that makes me distant and he asked this question is your deepest fear the fear that people seeing who you actually are because if it is you'll cover up you'll distance yourself you'll distance yourself from god you'll distance yourself from the people around you <coughs> god loves honesty he loves honesty that's why he loves relationships when they're you're asking him questions and you're challenging Some people think when they're exploring Christianity that God's offended by saying, I just don't believe this stuff. He's not offended. He's looking forward to that conversation. If it takes 10 minutes or 10 years, it's a great ringtone, Lorraine. (laughs) God loves your honesty. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. And we're going to be praying soon that we get that. Moreover, stop beating ourselves up and maybe stop beating others up too. Expecting perfection in people is another area of difficulty and that's my last one. The third reason often relationships struggle, especially in the church, is an unrealistic expectation of others. Proverbs 3, 5-6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now it's never wise to tweak scripture I would advise against it strongly. But I think it's okay to sort of add in, not just your own understanding, do not lean on human understanding. Because this proverb is saying, don't base your trust anywhere but in God. Don't seek your wisdom or guidance from anywhere but God. Before this sounds like don't speak to anyone, that's not what I'm saying at all. Let me qualify. Jesus tells us, go make disciples of all people. So I'm not saying don't speak to another person. But what you want to ask is, is that person guiding you in the ways of God or is that person guiding you in the ways of man? So we have to speak to one another. We keep pointing towards God. Why? This is so important, church. We need to mature. We need to grow in maturity in our relationship with God first. One of the main reasons people can't stick at church They can't stick at their small group. They can't stick at Christian friendships. Sorry I should drop this now, but we've got time to pray because we struggle with life. And then we look for someone to fix it rather than someone who will come alongside us while God fixes it. I want to say that again. We look for someone to fix it rather than someone to come alongside us while God fixes it. You know how it goes we go on for a while, it's okay, but that person that you want to help you doesn't answer every call, doesn't answer every text. They don't come round often enough. They say something that's far away, that cuts us to the core. They're not sufficiently concerned. <coughs> that will happen, and it causes lots of relationships to collapse or struggle in the church and in, in your friendships. When you put those expectations on a person, they can only be met by one person, God. That's the only person that can meet that level of expectation. That 24-7, on-hand, love and concern can never come from another person. Only God. Only God can do it. So if you still need people today, let's get praying that need shifts to the only person who will never, ever let you down. And friends and people will come alongside you who point you to that person. So when they're not there and they're not answering your texts and they're not 24-7 on hand, God always is that your relationship would strengthen with God. 1 Chronicles 20, I've picked a couple of verses that I think are really helpful at this moment. 28, 20. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. I love this. We were praying this this morning before the meeting. He will not leave you or forsake you. No one on earth can make that claim. Just God. He will not leave you, he will not forsake you. Joshua 1, 5. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Church, I love you, and there's some really great people and friendships. I have that very close in here. But I will at some point forsake you. I will do something that will make you think, he never answered me. God will never be like that. And I'm a decent guy. But I will fail you if that's your expectation on me. So let's come into the last bit. Let's land it. How do they get restored? You know, I said at the beginning, the only reason we exist is because God wanted a relationship with something, something to delight in, and for that to delight in him. And that's the reason we exist. It's also the reason Jesus died. Because of sin, because we did so much to break the relationship, because we got rebellious with God, we sin against him, and we then sin against each other. We know we do it. To deny we sin against God and sin against each other, I would like to break that. We know we do. In other words, we often do the opposite of what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God and love each other, love your neighbor as you would yourself. Our relationships gets damaged. God wanted us to sort this out, to pay, frustrated with how things have turned out. But he's too loving to make us pay the price for our sin. So he makes a way. He sends his one and only son and asks this, if I load all your sin On this sinless man, the perfect sacrifice, who will appease me for your sin. If you believe I can do that, believe in Jesus, that you can hide your sin in him, then we're good. We can have a relationship, because I can't handle you like this. I love you, but I hate sin. But I love you, but I hate sin. You want to know how important restoring relationships is for God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How did relationships get restored? Two things. It starts with a realization that we ourselves, so undeserving, are loved and are loved with an everlasting love. 1 Corinthians 13 7, all about love, says God's love never stops being patient, never stops failing never stops hoping, never gives up. We are loved with an everlasting love. Then we need to accept that if we believe in Jesus, we are totally forgiven. As in Romans 8, 1, it says, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so when we accept that we are so loved and so forgiven, Romans 15, 7 is an example of says, okay, if you can get that, you are so loved and so completely forgiven. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Love and forgive. So whether you're today thinking about issues that you have in a relationship, just in general, that's something you struggle with. You've got some trigger points that I maybe came up earlier, specific ones or the ones I mentioned. God is in the relationship restoring game. That's what he does that's his stocking trade. He's all about trying to restore broken relationships. The one, the biggest one of all, when man separated itself. He actually puts us back together. That's why Jesus died. Restoring relationship is God's number one stocking trade. So let's turn to him who loves beyond measure to help us. Can we have the worship team back up? I think we're going to do amazing grace again. I just want you to think before we're going to obviously there's a ministry team here but as the worship team come up, back up to get ready to sing this song, I want to just pray for us. There'll be a ministry team here ready to pray with us, specifically afterwards. I want to make a pretty good call, a pretty big call, sorry, for prayer, the courage to actually accept and respond, but respond in a way that says, ah, I can be free. If I struggle with these sorts of things, God wants to set you free. Jesus Christ wants to set you free. It's not to be head down, it's to be head up. We are humans, we make choices, we make bad ones, we struggle. What will we do without Jesus? Who wants to repair that? Who wants to put, set you free? Who wants to remind us that he loves you so much and you are so forgiven? Now just extend a bit of that to others. If you've got broken relationships and you're struggling to love, then Jesus tells us that's not what God wants for your life. That's not what he even commands in the Ten Commandments. It's not what I said on the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to be able to love. I want you to be free. It's not from God to dislike or to hate. Strong word, maybe. Just not to love. That there's someone in your life that you have a damaged relationship with. It's time to pray. And I want to pray a prayer over us, too. It's time to ask God for help, to forgive and to love others, to set you free from your judgment or maybe the judgment you're putting in yourself, turn yourself free. Matthew 5 says later on, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that your sons, the sons of your, you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Sorry, I'll say that again. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies. Don't think about that as war. Think about people you've fallen out with. God wants to set you free. Father God, I pray. That right now you are, you are helping us by making it clear. I love you so much that I gave my only one Son that you might be forgiven completely. I pray you help us right now if there's relationships in the past or present where we're struggling to forgive and to love. That we would have some of that in our hearts. We've been forgiven so much that we might forgive others. We might forgive ourselves for how we've responded father i pray you would set us free you would help us in our relationships you would strengthen us by your spirit as we come to sing this song the first line amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me